Good morning, Gateway Church. Good morning. We are a growing family after God's heart. Amen. I remember, yeah. hey man, see, I got one guy right here who isn't tired of that slogan. Just because of you, Chase, I want to say it again and again, all right? We've heard these, this phrase, we've, I'm sure, said it ourselves, mom said so, dad said so. You remember saying that? I know I said it. I think I lied a couple of times when I said it, mom said so. I know my siblings said it. In fact, I'll never forget, on one occasion, my mom was gone. She was working or running errands, and my older sister, Cindy, said that to me when I was getting a little lippy with her. We were arguing about something. I guess she had been deputized by mom, given the badge of authority when she was out of the house. Mom said so, you know. That's what she said to me. Said what? Said, when I'm out of the house, I'm in charge. I can discipline you just the way that mom did. Now, I don't want to get into all of that, but I'll tell you a little bit what took place. She did not. Yes, she did. Well, you know how well that went over. <laughs> Things started to escalate and got to the point where, I'm not kidding you, some of you heard the story. It's true. She found a belt, and she said, I'm spanking you right now. Well, law and order was out the window in that living room. It was a flurry of activity. She was on top. I was on top. I don't know who gave who a spanking that day. <laughs> law and order was nowhere to be found until the sheriff got home, but we won't talk about that. Dad said so. Joseph heard these, these words here. Joseph. We still have a couple of messages left in our series on Joseph entitled The Story About a Family. And Joseph's brothers basically said that to Joseph when their father, Jacob, had died. Dad said so. And when they said that, they were... They were not being defiant like my sister was being defiant. They were literally trembling with fear when they said to Joseph, Dad said so. We're reading from the last chapter of Genesis, chapter 50, verses 15 through 21. It reads this way. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us? I should underline that line. Right now in your mind's eye, just underline that. What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs that we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, 
Your father left these instructions before he died. Dad said so. This is what you're to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants. They called themselves the servants of God, of the God of your father. Now isn't that humorous in a sense? Because if you know the story of Joseph, they were anything but the servants of God. They were evil people, the beginning of the story. They hated Joseph. They conspired to murder him and ended up selling him as a slave. 17 years old. When their message came to him, Joseph, Joseph what? Wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and what? Spoke kindly to them. I sent this message. Dad said so. Problem with the message is what? I don't ever remember reading this part in the story. Do you? They lied. Dad didn't say so. Dad left instructions, but it was about his burial. Don't bury me in Egypt, he said, but in Canaan. You can see that in chapter verse, chapter 49, verse 29. So they were flat out lying to Joseph. Dad didn't say so. But the truth is, Joseph didn't hold a grudge anyway. He fully forgave them. And he would treat them the same way as when their dad was alive, giving them the best of the land of Egypt so that they could, quote, enjoy the fat of the land. Genesis 45, verse 18. Do you know what that is called? Undeserving grace. Unmerited favor. They thought they were receiving that while Jacob was still alive. But when dad dies... We're in trouble because Joseph really is harboring a, a, a grudge down deep inside. He doesn't look like it. He's coming across like he, he doesn't have an ax to, to grind. He smiles. He treats us nicely. But that's just a facade. That's not the, the true Joseph. When his true colors will be revealed when dad dies. He'll repay us. The 
brother's default mechanism kicks in when dad dies. Read that in Genesis 50, verses 1 through 3. Joseph threw himself on his father when he died and wept over him and kissed him. Then Joseph directed the physicians in his service to embalm his father Jacob. So the physicians embalmed him, taking a full 40 days. You got to kind of get the little nuances of the story. So they embalm Jacob's body. Takes 40 days to embalm his body. During the 40 days, Joseph has died. What are these brothers thinking about during the first 40 days? They're thinking about, we got to come up with something to convince Joseph. He's holding a grudge against us not to retaliate. 40 days, but it's longer than 40 days. The physicians embalm him. Verse 2 of chapter 50 of Genesis. Taking a full 40 days, for that was the time required for embalming, and the Egyptians mourned for him a total of 70 days. And they come up with this letter to Joseph. Dad said so. Why? What if Joseph holds a grudge, verse 15? Why would they say that? After all that Joseph had done for them and the, the, the grace that, that was poured out, why would they say that? They have witnessed, have they not witnessed the unmerited favor of Joseph? Here's why I don't believe they, they believe that in their hearts. Because of their own default mechanism, it kicks in. That's what they would have done. What? What would have they done? They would have held a grudge. That's their default. Do we have a similar default when offended? Grudges start with the tiny seed of offense. That's how they start. Grudges aren't these big monsters that all of a sudden have controlled our lives. It never starts that way. Grudges always start with a tiny, little tiny itty-bitty seed of offense. The brothers believed the lie that Joseph would would respond like them, that he really hasn't forgiven us because we really couldn't forgive Joseph if he did that to us. How could he? After all we did to him, it's all just a show for dad. But now the real Joseph will lash out at us. They had no grid for forgiveness. It wasn't on their relational map. 
These guys really knew how to nurse a grudge. Nurse it, rehearse it, wake, wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning, relive it, rehash it over and over and over. They played the tapes until it consumed them. I know that I can fall into that kind of rut. I think all of us can relate. Where we do rehearse and nurse the wrong, the injustice that has been committed against us. And Joseph teaches us how to be free from offense. That's the good news of this message today. I want to talk about, it's kind of funny, and I don't know. This is what I came up with. Rut-free living. (laughs) Winning. battle over offense. How are we going to do that? God will help us just like he helped Joseph fill in the ruts with his love, his grace, and his forgiveness. How did Joseph win the battle? We know that he just wasn't putting on a show, that he truly did forgive his brothers from his heart. We read it in the story. We see it in his emotions. He weeps. He breaks down and he cries after this message comes to him. They don't believe me. They don't trust my heart. It's not a show. I really do love you. I have forgiven you. I haven't held a grudge waiting for dad to die so that I can repay you for all the wrongs that you committed against me. He goes on later to say, am I in the place of God? God has forgiven me. Therefore, because of his character and what I've received, I've forgiven you. I'm going to talk a little later on how that may have taken place for Joseph because it's not easy. Let's talk about that grudge, holding a grudge, verse 15. A grudge starts when we don't properly deal with an offense. Listen now. There will never come a time in your life when you will graduate in the faith. You know, I thought it'd get easier. 
this offense thing. I thought, the longer you walk with Jesus, you know, the more kind. You're just going to be so loving and kind. And you could say whatever you want to say, and it won't bother me at all. And it'll just get easier. Does it get easier? I think God equips us to be able to deal with it better when it happens, if we're walking by the Spirit and we're taking on the character of Christ and we're learning what it means to be meek. The Holy Spirit definitely helps us, but I don't think it gets easier. In fact, sometimes it gets harder because you can't claim ignorance. It's like, well, I didn't know that's how Jesus would respond. Later on in my walk with Christ, I would learn that. No, no, no. We, we know too much. We know too much. We know what the word says, right? Forgive. Turn the other cheek. Speak truthfully. Don't push it down deep inside. Never reveal the true emotions and the wrong that has been suffered and communicate that wrong in a loving way. So we're going to struggle if we're not careful with either taking on an offense or picking an offense up. See, it's not just my offense. I'm probably even better at picking up someone else's offense because, you know, sometimes I can get beyond myself, but when you kind of go after one of our loved ones, so to speak, you know what I'm saying, right? So I, I pick up their offense. Well, I hope we get to some good news sooner or later. How do you win? First of all, if Joseph cannot hold a grudge, didn't hold a grudge, then we can be like him. So here's what it's going to take. Looking at the, the life of, of Joseph, number one, refuse to take the bait. Number one. Refuse to take the bait. 
All those years of being mistreated and alone in prison, Joseph could have nursed his hurt and pain. And I'm sure there were very long, dark nights where the tears that he cried were bitter tears. Not just hurtful tears, but thinking, how could my brothers do this to me? I hate them. And I will pay them back. The story doesn't say that he had those kinds of thoughts, but I'm sure he struggled with revenge. But he decided, I'm not going to continue to take the bait. I'm going to take my pain to God. Offense in the Bible is the name of the part of the trap on which the bait hung that lured the animal into the trap. Satan often uses offenses as bait to lure us into a lifetime of bitterness, resentment, and unforgiveness. And there's so many things that can offend us, right? And we are offended far too easily and too often. We're offended by rejection, by not being included or forgotten. You didn't invite me to an event. You forgot my birthday, my anniversary. Having our opinion ignored or rejected. People not agreeing us, not getting our own way, being passed over. The list goes on and on and on. Every day we're tested. Will I be offended? And it's like, boom, there's the bait. It's like I've seen that lure before. Why do I keep jumping out of the, the water? I have this funny story of my brother and his son, David. And we were in this conversation. And my nephew, David, looked at me and he winked. And I, and, and I knew something was up. And it was as if he was saying, watch this. Because I know exactly how to what buttons to push for my brother, and I can get him wound up. And David didn't say that to me, but I could tell by the look on his face and the wink that he gave me, the nod that he gave me with his head that we were going to have some fun, we were going to see this guy rant and rave. (laughs) So it's like he threw out this big, beautiful bait And before that bait hit the water, Lorne was out of the water. (laughs) He was on that bait, and the line zing, you know, and it's like it was going all over the place, and David was laughing and laughing and laughing.
funny, but it's not funny. Because in the end, there's nothing humorous about offense. Because it hurts. There's an interesting, obscure verse in Proverbs that I want you to take note of. And I'm going I'm to have Nathan go to the, the screen here. It's Proverbs 18, 19. Maybe you've seen it before. It says, A brother wronged is more unyielding than a fortified city. Another translation the New American Standard translation, it says, a brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city, and contentions are like the bars of a citadel. Now listen to what the Today's Living Bible renders it, the paraphrase. It's harder to win back the friendship of an offended brother than to capture a fortified city. His anger shuts you out like iron bars. It's a pretty sobering verse. Most of my life, I took that verse as a warning. Be careful, Paul, not to offend people because they may shut you out if you do. And I would read the scriptures like, be careful. But I'm looking at it different now. I got a little different angle on it. Yes, I'll be careful, but living the truth and speaking the truth will always offend some people. It's just the way it is. I'm looking more at my own heart when I'm faced with the possibility of of offense. Maybe I'm the person in the verse. Do I make it hard, almost impossible, to let people back into my heart and life when I'm offended? His anger shuts you out like iron bars. It's harder to win back the friendship of an offended brother than to capture a fortified city. I write you off. Have you ever, we're way too spiritual to say it out loud, but the coldness at times that that comes from our Posture. And the childish, childish things that we do, the juvenile games that we play, communicate, I have shut you out of my life and I've put iron bars around my heart. You cannot get in ever again. How do you win? It's like, it's harder to win back that friendship.
Have you written off anybody? You've deeply offended me and hurt me. I have an illustration. My dear mom, poor mom, I recall her saying, Paul, will you tell them everything as a pastor? (laughs) Right on the second row there, Sean. She would say, oh, not again. Well, Mom, yeah, I probably will. (laughs) This is my material, Mom. This is an illustration that occurred when I was a boy. I was kind of working the the numbers, doing the math this last week because I remembered this illustration. And in the end, there's always redemption because of how she lived her life. But I thought, oh my word, she was in her late 40s when this event happened in her life, in her late 40s. She was younger than I am right now. I never thought she was ever in her late 40s. I thought she was always in her 60s. Even when she turned 90, she she was still in her 60s. She stayed in her 60s. When I was 18, I thought she was 60. I remember it vividly because of the immensity of her pain. She was deeply wounded and offended. The pain was raw. Many of you knew my mom and might assume that the pain was connected to my dad. She was married. He was not a Christian. He was an alcoholic. He was not very nice to her. He was verbally abusive, harassed her at every turn. But she was working through that pain and was winning. I mean, she was, she had battles, but she was winning. She would say, okay, I get it. He's acting like he doesn't know Jesus because he doesn't. So she held her own but gave him grace. No, she was offended by a group of Christians at church. She found solace in the church, her need for community. Close relationships were being met in the body of Christ. But then it happened. A formation of a new group was launched. And you're not going to believe the name they chose. It's the goofiest, stupidest name that you've ever heard. It's obvious that I picked up her offense, right? Because I still remember it. It's like, who would ever come up with this goofy name? The Couples Club. Can you believe it? That's what it was called. Even back then, it was like, why would you? The Couples Club. 
Glenda, you remember about that, right? She's, my, that's my oldest sister. She probably picked up the offense too. We all did. But we're, we're winning. We won. Why do I remember it some 40 years later? Because of the negative impact that it had on my mom's life. What was their purpose? It was like a social club. Let's get together as couples and go out and do fun stuff. So it wasn't bad. It was like, they just, okay, I got to give them grace. I have given them grace. Doesn't sound like it. It's for effect. I have. Okay, that's cool. It's a great idea. But what about Riva? Yes, my mom was married. She technically was a couple, but my dad would never go to the couples club. And you don't want to you don't want me to repeat what he said about them. I can't. So for the first time in this small church where they did everything together. She felt excluded, left out, marginalized. And there were a number of people who literally shut her out of of her life. And sweet Riva, that warm, smiling, contagious ball of life and love that sat on the second row here, Well, you wouldn't have recognized her. It wasn't sweet Reva at the time. It was revengeful Reva. You're going, I can't even comprehend it. Well, I saw it. I witnessed it. How did she handle it? Not too well. She held a grudge. She talked to anyone who would listen about this injustice. And her conversations were not seasoned with salt and full of grace. There were no cell phones. You talked on the phone, but you would connect the cord and try to make as long a a, a phone cord as you possibly could because when things got heated up, she would try to run that cord into into the kitchen, close the door, but I could still hear her on the phone. I could hear her conversations. And I thought, I don't think you should be talking like that about. But I kept my mouth shut. Started getting these mixed messages. She'd say, Paul, go upstairs. Something happened in my own heart. Because the more I listened, you know this works, the more I listened, the more I agreed with her, because the hurt and pain was so deep, I picked up on her offense. So when I went to church the next Sunday or the Sundays after that, and I saw so-and-so, I had all of these wonderful, nice thoughts and feelings towards them, right? Not. Now her offense had spilled over into a kid's heart. 
Isn't that how it usually works? Be careful, parent. What you say within hearing distance of a child. Be careful. She was consumed by the offense until she was rescued by grace. She finally came to the place in her life where she recognized, I'm being consumed by this offense. It is tearing me up on the inside. And I remember my mom. Repenting. Asking for forgiveness. The appropriate people. Taking the right steps. Speaking truthfully about how she felt. But owning her own sin. And making it right. She learned how not to take the bait. These next two go fast. Number two. Release. The offender. When I say that, it doesn't mean that what they did was okay and right and that there will be no consequences. It's not what, I'm, what I mean at all. It means forgiveness. Verse 18. We read it earlier. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? If we don't release the offender, what that does is it puts us in the place of God. And who are we? to be put in his place. That's what my mom did. Doesn't mean that she never struggled with the pain and the hurt. She did for a long period of time, but she just kept giving it back over to the Lord, kept releasing, releasing, releasing. Pretty soon, One year passes and three years pass and five years pass and you keep doing the right things. All of a sudden, you give God the opportunity to heal your own heart. I watched God transform my mom's heart into this beautiful person. I mean, I want to be just like her in so many ways. Lastly, number three, 
This is where I end. Receive God's love for yourself. That's the only way it makes it possible. It won't work if we don't put ourselves in a place where we receive his love. Joseph took his pain to God first. It's in the story. He had nowhere else to go. He had no one. He was literally all alone. Maybe that's the way you feel in your own pain. In the offense that you're overwhelmed with. How many nights did Joseph cry himself to sleep? I think he had to work through his stuff. I think he probably had to work through his own offense with God. What's going on here, God? You are not treating me fairly. But Joseph kept going back to God. God was with him. Joseph let God love him in the darkness so that Joseph could love his brothers in the light. Somewhere in that prison cell, Joseph released his brothers, the offenders. And what happened? He was set free. I don't know when it happened. But it happened. When he released them, he was set free. When he kept taking his pain to God, allowing God to love him, God healed his heart. And so I'm going to ask you to stand with me, will you? As we close, just pray. This is a hard message. It's a life-giving message, though. It's a hopeful message. God wants to set you free. This morning, before you leave, he wants to just start backfilling in some of those ruts with his own love with his own grace, with his own mercy, with his own forgiveness. He wants us to get out of the kind of ruts that are so dangerous and so toxic. Will you allow that to take place this morning? And just begin to forgive. Doesn't mean you're going to feel anything in your heart. Doesn't matter right now. You just need to make some choices about certain events, certain people. And release the offender. 
forgive them. Be set free yourself today. Lord, as we come to the close of this this study of the character of Joseph, Lord, put it in our hearts, Lord. Help us be more and more like him. Experience your love in dark places so that we can show the love of Christ in the light. So we worship you, Jesus. Thank you for forgiving us, for treating us not as our sins deserve, but with unmerited favor and grace. We, we thank you, Lord, for that. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.